Hello everyone and welcome to tonight's um, seminar in the Music on the Mind series which is co-hosted by the Melbourne Recital Centre and also by the Music, Mind and Wellbeing Initiative at the University of Melbourne. My name is Jeanette Tamplin, I'm uh, from the National Music Therapy Research Unit at the University of Melbourne and I'd like to introduce my colleague, this is Dr Sandra Garrido from the Marx Institute for Brain Behaviour and Development from Western Sydney University and we have Dr Amy Baird from the Centre, ARC Centre for Excellence in Cognition and its Disorders, sorry that's a mouthful, at um, Macquarie University. So the three the three of us have come together to do this seminar this evening because we have all been successful in getting a, a four-year dementia research fellowship, so an, an NH and MRC ARC dementia research fellowship. So that's a bit of a mouthful. The NH and MRC stands for the National Health and Medical Research Council and they traditionally fund health-type research. And the ARC stands for the Australia Research Council and they fund arts-based research and other types of research that's not really medical research. So the fact that these two um, bodies have come together to fund this research into dementia um, is really um, exciting and it's uh, kind of fitting, I think, because we are looking at the two aspects, the arts and the health with music and dementia tonight. But before we start with too much talking, I really thought it would be great to start with some music. And I have some participants here from our, our music and memory singing group. So participants with um, early to mid-stage dementia and their caregivers. And I would like you to give them a large um, round of applause and invite them up onto the stage. Okay, so we thought we might just give you a little bit of a, an introduction to ourselves and our backgrounds and our different clinical areas because we come from three different um, sort of clinical backgrounds or, or research <coughs> backgrounds. So I am a registered music therapist. I've worked clinically um, as a music therapist in neuro rehabilitation for about 18 years. I'm currently working at Austin Health, but I also have a research position um, at the National Research Music Therapy Research Unit at Melbourne University. And the, the thing that attracted me to um, becoming a music therapist was really just that it was the marriage of two of the things that I felt really passionate about, which was music and helping people. So it was a natural kind of um, thing for me to want to do. And then after I started training and then in my early years of practice, I became really fascinated uh, with the effect of music on brain and behaviour. And so, and then its therapeutic potential for um, using music in rehabilitation. So that's kind of what led me to this uh, work. So I work with people with acquired brain injury, stroke, degenerative neurological conditions. Um, and that's my sort of area. Amy, would you like to... Sure. Um, so I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and I've been working for over a decade with people with different neurological conditions such as acquired brain injury and dementia. And I currently work in a private practice and a dementia service in Newcastle, just north of Sydney. But I trained at the University of Melbourne and I'm loving being back in Melbourne. It's a great city. 
Um, in my training, I did both a PhD and the clinical masters of neuropsychology. And so that combination really aspired me to continue to work as a scientist practitioner. So um, really my patients inspire my research ideas and I like to do clinical research that has implications for um, the rehabilitation of people with neurological conditions. So up on the screen there, you can see Oliver Sacks. He, I, when I was 15, I read his book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, and that really inspired me to, to study the brain. Um, he unfortunately died last year, but one of the last books that he wrote was on musicophilia. That was the title of the book, all about music and the brain. And one of the chapters in that book is actually on music and dementia. And I wanted to read uh, a paragraph from that chapter tonight because I really feel it encapsulates really beautifully um, what we're going to be discussing tonight. So this is Oliver Sacks' words. Music is part of being human, and there is no human culture in which it is not highly developed and esteemed. Its very ubiquity may cause it to be trivialised in daily life. We switch on a radio, switch it off, hum a tune, tap our feet, find the words of an old song going through our minds and think nothing of it. But to those who are lost in dementia, the situation is different. Music is no luxury to them, but a necessity and can have a power beyond anything else to restore them to themselves and to others, at least for a while. Beautiful quote. And Sandra? Um, so I have a background in both music and psychology, and my field is music psychology. Uh, you might be wondering what, what's the difference between music psychology and music therapy. Um, well, as you just described, Jeanette, music therapy is a, a clinical practice, whereas music... Um, Sorry, music therapy is a clinical practice, yeah. Music psychology is uh, often more theoretical, so we're interested in studying um, experimentally the effect that music has on, on the brain and on our moods and our emotions and our behaviour. And so my particular interest is applied music psychology. I'm interested in, in knowing how we can use that information about the effect music has on our moods and emotions to um, make sure that we're using music in everyday life, not necessarily in clinical settings, but just in everyday life, to uh, really optimise our mental health, I suppose. So um, I seem to have read all the same books as Amy as a teenager. Oliver Sacks was definitely a favourite. And I guess um, having been you know, trained as a musician in my teen years as well, it had a big impact on me and I was just always fascinated about how it actually does that. And so, yeah, I guess that's where my interest in, in finding the answers to those questions came from. Great. So tonight we're here to talk about um, music and dementia or the effect that music has for people with dementia. And we thought maybe just... Um, to acknowledge that we've probably got a very mixed audience here tonight. I imagine that there are some people here who may have received a diagnosis of dementia. Some may have noticed some memory issues and are concerned about developing dementia. Some of you may have a loved one with dementia. Um, 
and there are probably students and academics and interested members of the general public. So just to make sure that we're all on the same page, we thought we'd maybe start with some definitions about what is dementia and maybe Amy, you can explain. Yeah, so dementia is a term, it's actually an umbrella term for a number of different illnesses that cause a decline in a person's functioning. And what domain of functioning depends on the type of dementia. There's not just one type of dementia, there are many types. Um, Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. So Alzheimer's dementia is caused by Alzheimer's disease and it's the most common, but as I said, there are many types. Uh, frontotemporal dementia is a type of dementia that affects a person's behaviour more than memory. So with Alzheimer's dementia, memory is the first symptom, or memory difficulties is the first symptom. Uh, dementia with Lewy bodies primarily affects people's motor behaviour or their walking. So lots of different types. So I think it's important to bear that in mind because a lot of the research on music and dementia to date has been only in people with Alzheimer's dementia. Um, the other point to make is that unfortunately at the moment we have no cure for dementia, but there are a number of drugs available that can slow the progression and alleviate some symptoms. But I think this is where music is a powerful tool. Music is a really effective non-drug treatment for a lot of symptoms of dementia. So that leads us into our next slide. And we're just trying to um, now highlight some of the different areas in which we think that um, based on the research and the current understanding of what are the benefits of using music with people who have dementia. So as Amy's mentioned, music is a really um, good non-drug um, alternative to managing some of the um, negative symptoms of dementia, things like agitation, aggression, wandering, even poor sleep. So we know that um, from the research that music um, interventions can have effect, um, positive effects on all of these symptoms. The other area is um, social engagement. So music's often used in social contexts it often involves interaction between people. And in dementia, as the um, disease progresses, this is a thing that's often um, obvious, is that the person can become more withdrawn, struggle to communicate. So any kind of um, activity or um, something that promotes their engagement and their arousal and their interaction with others, which music does, is a really positive thing. And then just a quick shoot off to the side is it's not only just for the person with dementia, but it's the people around who are caring for them and have their own um, well-being needs that need to be met as well that can be um, benefited from music participation. And... Yeah, I, I can talk about the cognition. effects of music on cognition. So cognition or thinking skills... Mm -hmm. Uh, we know from quite a number of studies that music can stimulate a number of different cognitive functions. Attention, for one, music grabs your attention and arouses your attention. Um, there's been studies that have shown that music can improve language uh, skills in people with dementia, in particular verbal fluency or their ability to produce language. We're going to see a clip in a little while where you'll see this in action. Uh, and also memory. There's a very powerful link between music and memory. So music activities can actually improve um, people with dementia's ability to learn and recall verbal information. But also we know that music can stimulate personal memories. 
this link between music and its ability to stimulate autobiographical or personal memories is very powerful and can also um, impact on a person's sense of self. So your memories of your life or your autobiographical memories relate to who you are as a person. Um, and this is something that I'll talk about in a little, little, little while too, the link between music and the self. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, I, have a, I have a big interest in depression and, and there's quite a strong link between depression and dementia, which is not really very well understood at the moment. What we know is that um, people who have suffered from depression throughout their life are often more likely to develop dementia. It can also be an early warning sign that someone is developing dementia and it can accelerate the cognitive decline in somebody who has uh, dementia as well. So there's, there's a link there that, that's not well understood. Um, and there's quite a lot of strong evidence from a music therapy, therapy perspective, isn't there, Jeanette, that um, music therapy and that sort of active engagement with music can have a really good effect on on people with depression. We know less about the effects of simply listening to music, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that, that even just listening to music is, uh, can have benefits um, for people with depression. So that's something that, an area that requires a bit more research. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit of an overview of the different areas that, um, that are that have how music um, can benefit people with dementia. But we thought it might be good to illustrate that with a clip now. Um, this, this clip that we've, we're going to play, uh, probably many of you may have seen it before, it went viral on YouTube, but it really clearly um, articulates the powerful effect um, that music can have. And we want to uh, thank the Alive Inside Foundation for permission to play this clip. So I'll just pop it on now. We first see Henry inert, maybe depressed, unresponsive, and almost unalive. Henry. Yeah. Henry. Yes, yeah, so. I found your music. Uh -huh. You want you want your music now? Uh -huh. okay, let's, let's try your music, okay? And then you tell me if it's too loud or not. Then he is given an iPod containing, we know, his favorite music. Mm -hmm. Immediately, he, he lights up, his face assumes expression, his eyes open wide, he, uh, he starts to, um, to sing and to rock and to move his arms, and he's being animated by the music. And he used to always sit on the unit with his head like this. He didn't really talk to much people, and then when I introduce the music to him, this is his, his reaction ever since. <laughs> the philosopher Kant once called music the quickening art and Henry is being quickened, he's being brought to life. Yeah. I'm going to take the music for one second, okay? Just huh? to ask you a few questions. Okay? Thank you. I'm going to give it back to you. Uh-huh. Okay. The effect of this doesn't stop. Because when the, uh, the, the headphones are taken off, uh, 
Henry, normally mute and virtually unable to answer the simplest yes or no questions, is quite voluble. Henry? Yeah? Um, do you like the iPod? Do you like the music you're hearing? Yes. Tell me about your music. Well, I don't, I don't, don't, I don't have one, I mean. Do you like music? Yeah, I'm crazy about music. You play beautiful music, beautiful sound. Did beautiful. You, did you play music when you were, uh, were you, did you like music when you were young? Yes, yes, I went to big dances and things. So in some sense, Henry is restored to himself. He has uh, uh, remembered uh, who he is and uh, he's, he's reacquired his, his identity for a while through the power of music. What, what does music do, do to you? Give me the feeling of love, no, no mass. Figure right now the world needs to come into music, singing, you got beautiful music in. Beautiful, oh, lovely. And uh, I feel the band of love, the dream. So now we need to ask the question of why. What is it about music? Why can music have such a strong impact on people with dementia? Sandra, this music and memory um, project has some similarities to the research that you've been doing. Have you observed any similar reactions like what we saw with Henry? Yes, um, we see the, the Henry effect quite often really. Um, I'm just a gentleman I can think of that, that we were working with a few days ago. Um, he was virtually unable to communicate. Uh, in fact, when I asked him what year it was, he said Australia with, with difficulty. Um, but we put a piece of music on and he was able to sing it right through, pitch perfect with all the lyrics, um, absolutely no problem with verbal communication when it when it was singing. Um, so we see that, yeah, we see that quite a lot. Of course, we do have some people that we don't see that effect in. Um, they may, you know, not respond or, or perhaps even have an adverse um, response from time to time. And that's something that we don't really understand clearly is, you know, why does it work for some people and, and not for others? And what would an adverse response be and how would, how, what would you do when someone had an adverse response? Um, well, so for example, somebody else that, that uh, I was working with recently, the music really just made him uh, far too emotional. He, he had uh, a history of depression and putting the music on just made him far too emotional. So we, we had to actually stop um, playing the music to him. He said he didn't want to listen to, to music anymore. It was bringing back memories that were too potent for him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, of course, if that happens in an experimental situation, we, we stop the experiment and we do something to, to make the person feel better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in a situation where people are, are doing these sorts of music and memory programs, that, that can be... Um, no, it's something to be aware of that, that the reactions aren't always positive 100% of the time. Yeah, because we know that <clears throat> music stimulates our emotions, so it's going to stimulate positive and negative. It may stimulate mm. positive memories or negative memories. Yeah. So music um, is, is powerful. You know, it can be used for, for positive and, and negative kind of... Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, 
Let's just click to the next slide. Maybe you can start um, us on our exploration of the why that music causes us to have this strong reaction. Okay. Well, so from a music psychology perspective, one of the reasons why music can have a powerful effect on some people is that it seems to actually be tapping into very basic um, biological mechanisms. So if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective... Um, sounds in the environment have always signalled information that's important for our survival. So if you hear a growling sound, you know that could be a saber-toothed tiger coming after you and you know you need to run. So the, the body is programmed uh, to activate the fight-or-flight response um, in response to sound, acoustic signals. And so we get this instant reaction to sounds without too much cognitive processing. So it's like when somebody slams a door, you jump without thinking and then you go, oh, that was just so-and-so slamming the door. But the reaction is instantaneous and so we're programmed to respond to sounds in the environment like that and I think that music often activates those kinds of things. Um, one of the particular aspects of that we've been looking at it a lot at the Marx Institute is entrainment. And entrainment is basically that um, compulsion that we all have to tap our feet or our fingers or something when we hear a beat. But the evidence suggests that it's not just our feet and our fingers that, that synchronise to the beat, but our physiological systems do as well. So um, that's why if we want to calm down, we put on something with a slow beat because it actually lowers our physical arousal levels um, and if we you know if we're exercising or something and we want to pick up energy we put on something with a faster beat and then our body kind of synchronizes with that so yeah music does activate these very very primitive physical and biological systems and I think that's one of the reasons why it has such a powerful effect mm -hmm. and what about the brain yeah Amy, bring it back the to the brain neuropsychologist you can brain. tell us what's happening in the brain <laughs> Well, I think music is, well, we know that music is a very unique stimulus because it actually, when you're listening to music, your whole brain is activated. It really fires up widespread regions of the brain, um, parts of the brain that uh, regulate attention, uh, regions of the brain that are involved in movement because we dance and move to music, uh, the emotional centres, as Sandra's discussed, and also parts of the brain that control memory. So there's these widespread activations that occur just with listening to music. So as I talked about before, the most common form of dementia is Alzheimer's dementia, and that causes changes primarily. The pathology of Alzheimer's dementia causes changes in the temporal lobe. So I've got a picture of the brain up on the screen. This particular brain is someone facing this way to the left. So the temporal lobe is labelled there. It's the blue lobe behind your ear. You have two temporal lobes, but this one is, you're looking at the right temporal lobe. Um, so the pathology of uh, Alzheimer's dementia in particular affects that lobe, and that, the temporal lobe is very important for memory, which is why we see memory changes in that type of dementia. But what's interesting with music is we know that people with Alzheimer's dementia can remember familiar music. Why is this? Well, recent neuroimaging studies have addressed this question. So um, I've got a, a scan up there. It's actually a, an fMRI scan. So fMRI is a tool for measuring brain activity 
um, by looking at changes in blood flow. When parts of the brain are working hard, there's increased blood flow to those regions. Uh, and this particular scan is showing someone listening to music um, and showing what happens. Um, and I want you to have a look at the front part of the brain, the frontal lobe. You can see a number of colours in that region. Um, so the green patches are actually showing increased activity when the tune is familiar to someone. Uh, the red areas are those that are the areas that are activated when the, the music stimulates personal memories. The yellow area is the um, part in the frontal cortex that's activated when the tune is both familiar and it activates a memory. And the blue areas are um, in uh, songs that people enjoy. So it's quite a mishmash, but the point I want to make is that the front part of the brain, the frontal lobe, is what is activated when the person has memories and is familiar with the song. And this part of the brain is typically not so affected by the pathology of dementia. It remains preserved and spared of Alzheimer's disease pathology, which is why people with this type of dementia still have um, recognised familiar music and have memories associated with familiar music because that part of the brain that controls that function is, is still working well. So I think that's one of the main reasons why um, there is this positive effect, particularly with familiar um, music with people with dementia. So in addition to those, um, the two areas that we've just spoken about, um, Music has a really strong impact on people with dementia because of the socially engaging um, aspect of music participation. So you can see in the picture there the sing-along around the piano, which used to be really common. Um, not so much these days, but it was very common. And um, music in general is often a very social activity. Um, it also stimulates arousal via the entrainment um, processes that Sandra's talked about. And people become stimulated by the music. They become more aware of their environment and more ready to interact with others um, and ready to join in musical activities. And like Amy said too, the motivating aspects of music are often related to the personal significance of the music and the meaning of the songs and the music that they're hearing, which again then promotes them to engage and participate more. So to um, illustrate this socially engaging aspect of music participation, we've got another little clip here for you. And I'll just press play. You beautiful doll, you great big beautiful doll. Oh, 
Well, round, 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 and down. Oh, you beautiful doll, you great big beautiful doll. Let's be put my arms about you. I could never live without you. Oh. You beautiful doll, you great big beautiful doll. If you ever leave me, how my heart would ache. I wanna hug you, but I pay you break. Oh, 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 you beautiful doll. Oh, you beautiful doll, you great big beautiful. Let me put my arms about you. I could never live without you. Oh, you beautiful doll, you great big beautiful doll. If you ever leave me, how my heart would ache. I wanna hug you, but I fear you'd break. Oh, oh. a great clip, isn't it? Okay, so um, we thought maybe now just to give you a bit of a background on each of our different areas of research, um, and then we can unpack that more as we go along. But Amy, do you want to start off with telling us about what you're doing? Sure. So I'm using music as a tool to explore three different cognitive functions. The first is autobiographical or personal memory, uh, self-identity, and new learning in people with different types of dementia. So to talk a little bit more about autobiographical memory, um, music-evoked autobiographical memories or memories that are stimulated by music have been documented in people with Alzheimer's dementia, but not in other types of dementia so far. And what I'm interested to do is to look to see if these memories remain preserved in people with non-Alzheimer's types of dementias, and also to compare memories that are evoked by music with memories that are evoked by other things like objects or photos um, to see how they differ. And also to see if music-evoked autobiographical memories remain stable over time. That hasn't been studied yet. Um, it does a song that reminds you of, of a person always remind you of that person or does that memory change? So that's what I'm interested in doing. And I thought we might do a little, um, see if we can evoke some music evoked memories here tonight. <laughs> so I'm going to show you the questions that I'll be asking my participants and you hear a little excerpt of a tune. So have a think about the questions while you're listening to the song. So you Lots want to put your hand up if you had a memory associated with that song? A couple of hands. Okay, great. All right, if we can just go back to the others. Oh, no, we're moving on to the next slide. Do you want to talk on? Oh, no, sorry. Keep moving. That was my fault. <laughs> so the second area was music and self-identity. So there's a lot of anecdotal references to music bringing people back to their old selves, particularly in the face of dementia. And even um, you heard Oliver Sacks say it, you know, music can restore them to themselves. Um, but 
although there's a lot of talk of this, there's actually not much empirical research um, on this topic that's investigated the actual link between music and the self. So I'm really interested in trying to look at that um, in people with dementia. It's a tricky topic because how do you define the self? It has been defined in numerous ways in different disciplines, philosophy, psychology, and also how do you measure the self, particularly in someone with severe dementia. But it's a topic that I'm really fascinated by and I think there is this link between music and the self that's worth investigating further. Uh, and the third area that I had listed was um, new learning of music. There's some really fascinating case studies of musicians who developed Alzheimer's dementia but are still able to play their musical instruments. So they have difficulty remembering their, their children's names and other things but they're still able to play their musical instrument. And this actually was the, the thing that um, hooked me into uh, research on music and dementia. I read these case studies years ago and was fascinated by this. Um, what's even more striking is some of these musicians can actually learn to play new tunes. So they're learning new music, which is really um, remarkable in someone. And these are people with severe Alzheimer's dementia. Um, recently, um, I've met Norma, who you see next to the gentleman playing the banjo, is Norma, who's a lady who I met. And she's a non-musician, never did any music training, but always loved to sing. And her daughter contacted me because she heard I was doing um, research on music and dementia. And she said, I really hope you can come and meet my mother, Norma, who's 91, has severe Alzheimer's dementia, but sings along to pop songs in the car when we go to doctor's appointments. So not old songs from her youth, but new pop songs that were written in the last you know, few months. I thought, oh, I must meet this lady. So I went to her aged care facility and spent quite a bit of time with Norma and actually was interested in looking at it a bit more scientifically to see if she could learn a new song. So I spent some time teaching her a Norwegian song. We didn't do it with the lyrics because that would have been way too tricky, Norwegian lyrics, but it was a Norwegian children's song and I just taught her the melody because I was curious to see if she could learn that melody and recall it. And amazingly, she did. I visited her two weeks after teaching her the song and she could sing along with some prompts from me, but she was able to sing the melody. She had no idea who I was and the fact that she'd met me two weeks ago and we'd spent, you know, a couple of hours together, but she could sing this melody. And I thought I'd share with you some footage that ABC Catalyst took of myself with Norma um, singing this tune. This is Norma. She's 91 years old and has severe dementia. And this is clinical neuropsychologist Dr Amy Baird. Do you know my name? No. I'm Amy. We've met a few times actually. So the main difficulty she has is forming new memories. Norma, do you know who I am? My name? Just a couple of minutes ago, I told you my name. Can you have a guess? <laughs> That's all right if you're not sure. It starts with A. A. It's Amy. It's Amy. Yeah. She can't recall three words after a minute. 
Right? Starts with Some, A. Somebody that I don't know. No. <laughs> but incredibly, Norma can learn a new tune. I taught you a new song. Oh. Yeah, it was called the Norwegian song, or that's what we called it together. Do you remember learning that new song? No. No? All right, I'll start you off, Norma. <laughs> see if you can sing along with me, okay? So the song went, la, 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 Yeah, great. As far as Dr Baird is aware, this has never before been shown in the literature that a person who is not encoding new verbal memories can learn a song and retain it. I was really excited. I thought, this, I've got to try and publish this in a case study. I think that striking contrast between not being able to recall just three single words and you know not recalling my name after one minute, but being able to sing along two weeks later is really quite amazing. La, 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 and, and that's something that hopefully we can harness that potential to teach people with dementia new things. Potentially. Oh, that was a good ending. <laughs> so you can see she's quite a character, Norma, and she just loves singing and she always has her whole life. And that's something else just quickly to add that perhaps her ability to learn new musical information is because she's someone who has always been engaged with music, even though she is not a musician. She loved music and always sang a lot. But that's something we need to investigate further, whether this is a, um, you know, something that all people with dementia can do or just those who love music. Uh, yeah, so my research is, um, I guess, quite similar to the uh, Music and Memory program that uh, some of you might have seen in the documentary Alive Inside that, that Henry came from. Um, so what I'm doing in my research is going into residential care facilities and playing music to people and then measuring their response. Um, one of the, some of the things that I'm interested in looking at when we're doing that is to actually try and work out what kind of music works best and for who. So we don't really understand. We know that familiar music, I think we've all encountered that in our research, that music that's familiar is most effective. <coughs> But beyond that, you know, is, are there any particular musical features that they respond to more, like um, beat or something like that? Um, I'm also, as I mentioned before, I have a strong interest in depression. And so I'm very interested in the way music, uh, people with different conditions like depression re may respond to music differently in those kinds of scenarios where... Um, you know, you're giving them some, some personal music to listen to. So uh, that's a few of the things that I'm looking at in my research. Um, with a lot of these people, it's difficult to go in there and ask, how does this music make you feel? So we've, you know, as maybe I would with, with some younger participants, but um, so we use, we've found a few different ways of measuring the way people are feeling when they listen to music. So you can see the, the screen up the top, a little picture at the top of the screen, shows some software that we're using where you, you video people as they're listening to music and it actually, without having to put any electrodes on their faces or anything, it actually measures the movement of the muscles in their faces and it measures even very minute 
uh, movements. So, for example, if somebody's had a stroke and they don't have very much movement in their face, um, they might still get a twitch of the, the muscle that makes you smile, for example, even though they're not, you can't actually tell that they're smiling. So we can pick up those kinds of things um, in people's faces and that gives us a bit of an indication of emotions they might, might be experiencing. Um, we've also been measuring skin conductance, which is basically how much people sweat. So you put uh, little electrodes on their fingers and what that tells us is uh, basically how, how much arousal they're experiencing or how, how alert and awake they're feeling. Um, and we, we get quite um, distinctive responses in that, even from people who aren't necessarily moving very much in response to the music, we will get um, indications from their skin that they're actually feeling much more alert, even though you can't actually physically see that much movement. Um, so the screen at the bottom shows a little bit of that happening. The blue bars, that's the actual sound of the music. And the red wiggly line up the top, that's the skin conductance. So what you can see is when the music is playing, when the, music, when the blue bars are quite wide, the uh, skin conductance levels actually drop. So we were playing quite calming music to this participant. And so that indicates that her arousal levels were dropping whenever we put the music on and she was becoming a little bit more um, anxious when we stopped the music and we started asking her questions and we'd put more music on and her arousal levels would, would drop again. So that's the kind of thing that we're looking at, the effects of different music on people and just trying to figure out exactly uh, what effect the music is having even when they're not able to communicate it clearly. So um, my research, I'm really interested in the therapeutic application of singing. Um, a lot of the uh, existing research with other populations, we know that um, singing together with people can improve your mood, can affect your physiological function, your heart rate, your, uh, even your immune function, your, um, the, the release of hormones and um, neurochemicals in your brain that make you feel better, it, it reduces stress, it can improve your cognitive function, your attention, your memory, um, and also singing together can uh, help promote a sense of community, of, of belonging, of support. So the research project that I'm um, conducting alongside my lovely colleague Imogen, who was helping me conduct the choir before, um, we're looking at the effect of groups, group singing, therapeutic singing groups for people with early uh, to mid-stage dementia, still living at home with their family carers. And we're particularly interested in supporting the relationship between um, the person with dementia and their loved one and supporting them to stay at home in their family home for as long as they can, and how music can help that happen, how we can support the relationship and provide the psychosocial supports as well around that. We're looking also at outcomes for both the person with the diagnosis of dementia and also the family carer. So for someone with um, the dementia diagnosis, we're looking at outcomes like anxiety, quality of life, agitation, apathy, and cognitive function. They're also measuring um, outcomes for the family carer, so their life satisfaction, their satisfaction with their caring role, their sense of flourishing and maybe depression. And I think um, 
it's probably an area that, that we're starting to investigate a little bit more now. We know we've we've seen a lot of the footage about how music is, is so amazing, has such amazing effects for people with dementia, but we also know that there is a lot that we can do to support caregiver wellbeing, um, to provide opportunities for them to connect with their loved one with dementia, to, to meet in the same reality for someone with advanced stage dementia, to be able to remember the person or connect with the time of listening to their wedding song together and suddenly they're, they're flash back in time together and they can connect with the people that they were. Um, we're also able to provide coping strategies for the carers even musical strategies that they can use with their loved one at home to help calm them down if they're getting really stressed or anxious. Um, it's an opportunity for them to be able to express their own emotions and to have the support of other caregivers in the group um, and then decreasing the risk of depression, improving their quality of life and all of these things. So... That's a snapshot of our sort of three research areas, but we really wanted to open it up for questions or comments from the audience. And maybe, I don't know if there's anyone from, from the group who feels brave enough to say anything about their experience of the choir or um, bringing their loved one to the choir. If anyone wants to say anything, I might give you guys an opportunity first. And then if, if um, there's any other questions, and I think we've got a microphone, so... So we just need to talk into the microphone so that everyone can hear. Hi, my name is Sue and I'm my mum's full-time carer, Betty here. And back in April, we were going through the Austin Health Memory Clinic and they asked us if we would uh, like to participate in this research. And of course, we were thrilled because my mum and I both have um, music in our backgrounds and um, we were really thrilled. So Imogen contacted us and we started when it first started back in May. And so I think it's over three months now. And truly it is the highlight of our week. Um, not only um, is it music that we're celebrating every time we go to the repat, but it's also something that we can do together, which we really enjoy. And every time we leave, my mum says to me how happy she feels, how relaxed she feels, and what a friendly group it is. And so it's not just the music, it's actually the group that we're with. And it's, it seems pretty amazing, but from the very first week, and we've met new people as we go on because different people have joined as we go along, but... It's a very special group and we feel like we've really made a lot of friends and I think that's just as important as the music. Any other questions <coughs> from anyone or comments? Up the back. <coughs> I've come here with my friend tonight. We're studying music at the VCA um, and we both get so much enjoyment out of being musicians and training. And my question is, um, as a student, would there be opportunities to do subjects or internships 
or in some way get involved with this the program that you're doing because we're both singers and um, I've yeah on a personal level just gained so much just from being in a community choir separate from rigorous um, bachelor of music study and this is something that I'm really interested in maybe in terms of my career matching helping people with my love of singing so if you could speak to some of the opportunities maybe for students at the University of Melbourne that would be great. Um, I think there's definitely opportunity for um, students to, I mean, you're welcome to contact us because there may be opportunities to volunteer with some of the projects that we're doing or that we have going already. Did you want to have a response, Jane, yeah, to that? I can make a little response. I also work at the University Can you speak into the microphone, sorry? Yeah, sorry. I also work at the University of Melbourne and what we've begun is something called the Ignite Lab where students can come and do their own projects that work into the industry they wish to go into. So there would certainly be an opportunity for you to take a unit like that. So you would be able to perhaps go and volunteer at a community choir and do a project on it and, and so on and so forth. What I would say to you is go to your nearest community, whatever it is, and volunteer to lead some singing. Wouldn't that be great? You should all be doing that. <laughs> oh, um, my name's Graham. Um, my partner's. Uh, oh, <laughs> sorry, Max. Oh, <laughs> um, oh, sorry for that. Um, but anyway, Max has a great time and. Uh, I suppose, um, oh, <laughs> sorry, Jeanette. Um, but one of the things is that uh, it's, it's sort of anecdotally accepted that the music is great for people with dementia and so on and so forth. And, and there's lots of choirs around the, the suburbs, as we discover, you know, inclusive choirs and whatever. But the guys with dementia really need some assistance to actually sort of, you know, like the uh, girl at the back was saying, to, to actually sort of get out and enjoy it because... You know, Max was in the U3A choir and whatever. And uh, simple things like the chorus wouldn't be repeated, you know, and you'd be shuffling pages and her friends would be helping and, you'd, you know, in the end it got too embarrassing to sort of continue going. So there's a real market from, you know, just the layman's point of view, you know, for this sort of thing to be rolled out a bit more widely. So uh, obviously I'm biased, but uh, I, I think it's a, it's a great thing, uh, just like uh, Sue was saying before. Thank you. My name is Andrew. I'm a doctor and uh, also a passionate uh, reader of Oliver Sacks and all his works. It probably kept me in medicine when other forces would have drawn me away. Um, there's a lot of anecdotal things that he, he's um, spread and you've drawn, drawn attention to some very interesting um, neurological phenomena like the lady who can barely remember a few words and yet can recall a song. To what extent is the um, ability to observe and research these things limited by the fact that it's only a burgeoning field and that to what extent you should spread your ideas to the general medical populace 
to be more alert to the possible interesting discoveries that we made about music and connections to neurological disease. I wondered if the panel could talk about that. Oh, I think you make a really, oh, if I can yes. start, <laughs> a very important point. And I guess by doing things like this, and as I commented in that little clip, I, I've actually written the case study up about Norma and hope to publish that in a gerontology journal so that it gets a bit of um, wider reading from the medical community. Um, but it's something that uh, I guess is, you know, as Jeanette said, these are new, the government's putting a lot of money into research for dementia now, and I guess some of these ideas, hopefully we have four years to progress our research, the three of us, and during that time we, um, you know, one of the outputs, one of the things that you need to do as a researcher is to get your message and your research findings out there. So um, certainly hope to spread spread that news about Norma and she has been, her case has been presented at conferences and, and so forth, which sometimes medical doctors attend. <laughs> but yes, that's my response. Do you guys want to add anything? Um, yeah, my, my thought about that is um, that I think it's important also that a lot of this research be cross-disciplinary. Um, I have actually read things in medical journals about uh, perhaps um, nursing studies in nursing journals or in medical journals that have been conducted, but often a music therapist will have a very different perspective on how people are going to respond to music than a study in a medical journal. So, for example, medical nursing journals tend to often have an approach where they go in and they think, well, these people are agitated, we'll play calming music, we'll put on Baroque music for everybody, for example. And what you find is the people who like Baroque music respond to that really well, and then the people who don't like Baroque music um, get more, more agitated. Whereas a music therapist uh, knows that kind of thing because they're used to working with individuals. So it's very important that information like this is, is shared across disciplines. And so I think that this is where the NH and MRC and ARC joint funding is, is really so wonderful for this field of research because it is facilitating this kind of cross-disciplinary research. Yeah, and it reminds me of the conversation we were having before when we were preparing for this about... Um, you know, talking about duty of care and managing and not just going, well, music's great for people with dementia, let's go and plonk headphones on people and everything will be great because it it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have a positive um, connection to that song. So I think having that kind of interdisciplinary um, discussion and research and publication and presentations um, is only going to help the field as well. And presenting at, inter, you know, different um, interdisciplinary audiences and conferences, any, anything that can sort of spread the, the, um, the word more widely. Any other questions? Yeah. Hi, um, my name's Fiona. I work at the Austin Cognitive Dementia Memory Service. And I'm just wondering, what are the options of actually referring people to a music therapist um, to actually design you know, a music program for that individual? It very much depends on where you are and whether there is a music therapist working in that area. So, it's you know, it's, again, that supply and demand issue. So I think you would just need to, within the services that you're in, 
find out if there's a music therapist and if not, demand why there isn't. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I don't know. That's the only answer really I can say. That There's some private There are, yeah, on the music, uh, Australian Music Therapy Association website, there's a list of private practitioners. So um, there's that option. But music therapy isn't currently funded under private health, so it becomes costly. Mm. What would be a rough cost of um, designing some sort of a program for an individual? <coughs> Probably couldn't say, but I could maybe chat to you after. I don't know, yeah. yeah. And there was one more question at the back, and then I think we might have to um, finish. Hi, um, my name is Riza, and I'm starting a PhD um, in music psychology um, in the next few weeks. Um, so with something like Norma, um, where you can see um, that she's suddenly much more awake or much more lucid when the music is on, what, what happens when the music stops? Um, is there a kind of window where um, cognitive abilities come back for a little while and they withdraw, or does it, does it go back straight to um, how they were before the music started? I just wanted to know what happened. Uh, well, it depends on the person, but I guess with Norma in particular, she's quite a chirpy, bubbly personality with or without music. But certainly, as Sandra and um, Jeanette have talked about, um, music does arouse the whole body and, and brain. So there is that <coughs> arousal that occurs with music that gives you that window of opportunity to engage in conversation or socially uh, and I think that's something that I'm interested in looking at too, that ability to learn. When you're singing a song with someone, that's more fun than asking someone to remember three words. You know? <laughs> you're looking at them, you're smiling, you're, and she loves singing. So that love of what she's doing obviously enhances her ability to learn in that moment. So, so all this talk of singing is making me want to sing again. <laughs> Um, we thought maybe to finish we would get our beautiful singers back up on the stage to sing our farewell song. This is a song that we maybe just start walking up and I'll talk um, about what we're going to do. Um, this is a song that we sing as our final song every week and we're going to sing it through for you once or twice and then we're going to get you to join in. So make sure you take notice. These are the words. It's very easy. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. You may now go.